Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Listeners, and welcome to Ohio Mysteries. You're listening to a clip of Super Funk Deluxe, an original song by Summer School from Cleveland. They are our featured Ohio musical artists tonight, so hang out with us to the end of the podcast. We'll tell you all about them and let you listen to that entire song. But right now, let's throw another log on the fire, campers. Let's dig up a new Ohio mystery. I'm your co-host, Steve Yoder, and with me is our award-winning journalist, Paula Slice, who spent 30 years telling these kinds of stories for the Akrabika Journal. Hi, everybody. Okay, Steve, I know we are both very proud of Ohio's role in aviation history. So let's remind our listeners of some of the more famous chapters involving flight in the Buckeye State. You start. Okay, well, we had those uh, bicycle sellers named Orville and Wilbur Wright who created the first airplane, right? Oh, yes, yes. And we had the first man on the moon, Neil Armstrong from Wapakoneta. Wapakoneta, that's right. And, of course, we have John Glenn of Cambridge, among other things, the first American to orbit the Earth. Uh, You know, we actually have quite a few astronauts, so let me throw out – Judith Resnick from Akron. She's one of the astronauts who died when the Challenger exploded. Yeah, that was sad. I just got done watching that Netflix series about that. That's, yeah, pretty oh. tough. Oh, we do have uh, Goodyear. It's uh, famed for its blimps. Yeah, well, in that case, Ohio was also ground zero for the U.S. government's decades-long investigation into UFOs. We had quartered Project Blue Book yeah. and... We were the alleged alien collection site at Hangar 18 in Dayton. That's right. That's right. Maybe we should throw in the World War I ace, Eddie Rickenbacker from Columbus. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, and of course, don't forget Geraldine Mock from uh, Newark. Geraldine who? You know, the woman who did what Amelia Earhart couldn't do. You're going to have to take this one. I have no idea what you're talking about. Well then, you know, it's appropriate we're calling this an Ohio mystery. The mystery being, how come she is in a household name? I mean, everyone knows who Amelia Earhart is. Amelia set a ton of records, but the one she was attempting in 1937 when she famously disappeared over the Pacific Ocean was to become the first woman to pilot a plane around the world. 
Yeah, but she didn't make it. No, she didn't. As a matter of fact, nobody even made a serious attempt to follow her. Not until 1964, when a housewife from Columbus did it. And unlike Earhart, who had taken a male navigator with her, the Ohio woman encircled the globe all on her own. Whoa, that's crazy. Seriously, why don't we know her name? Well, we're going to take an educated guess on that after the story. But first, let me tell you about Geraldine Mock. She was born Geraldine Fredericks in the rural community of Newark, Ohio in 1925 to a world where women typically aspired to become wives and mothers. Jerry, that's what they called her, grew up thinking a girl's life sounded pretty boring. From an early age, she wanted something else. She was only seven years old when she made the stunning announcement she was going to become a pilot. Perhaps her parents smiled and patted her on the head. It must have sounded like one of those offhand declarations youngsters make, the kind that changes a dozen times before a kid reaches adulthood. But she set that goal for herself right after her family had taken a short airplane ride at a local airport. And while the flight was brief, her dream was not. That same year, Amelia Earhart was making news as the first woman to fly across the Atlantic. So little Jerry had a heroine to keep her focused. She would come home from school and turn on the radio to listen for broadcasts about Earhart's exploits. I wanted to see the world, Jerry told reporter Amy Saunders in 2014 for a story on the 50th anniversary of her record-setting flight. The piece ran in the online publication BuzzFeed. I wanted to see the oceans and the jungles and the deserts and the people. After high school, Jerry entered Ohio State University as the only female in their aeronautical engineering program. If her male colleagues were tempted to harass her, Jerry didn't know. She said right out of the gate she outperformed all of them on her exams. So that took any potential wind out of their sails. Even so, it was 1945. World War II was ended, and men were returning to take back the jobs women had held in their absence. And even Jerry Mock caved in to the practicalities of her gender and the struggle she would face trying to make it in a man's field. At the age of 20, she dropped out of college and married Russell Mock, He matched her intelligence and her curiosity about the world, and he knew how to fly a plane. In one way, however, they were complete opposites. Jerry was quiet and introverted and didn't like attention. Russ was extroverted to the point of being a showman. The couple had three children together. Sons Roger and Gary came quickly. Valerie came about a decade after them they settled in the Columbus suburb of Bexley. Russ was an advertising executive, a job that took him around the country. But Jerry stayed plenty busy. She produced a radio program that featured the Metropolitan Opera and a local TV show for teenagers debating politics. The Mocks also hosted foreign college students, which was the closest Jerry could get to learning about all those countries she wanted to see. 
When her first two boys were old enough to be at school, she started looking toward the sky again. Jerry took flying lessons and at the age of 32 received her pilot's license. Jerry and Russ invested in a four-seat Cessna 180 and took turns piloting the plane on weekend trips. Jerry even entered a women's air race in 1962. But maybe the one thing that inspired her the most was when Jerry and Russ flew to an island off the Canadian coast. That night, sitting in the hotel's radio room, they listened to pilots communicating their positions over the Atlantic, and Jerry found herself thinking, my goodness, I want to do this. It was exciting. It wasn't long after that trip, as the mock sat around the dinner table, that Jerry threw out the comment that she was bored staying home all day. Well, maybe you should get in your plane and just fly around the world, her husband Russ said. Jerry knew it was a joke, but she was not joking when she responded, All right, I will. And Russ supported her as she backed up her comment by calling the National Aeronautic Association to start obtaining maps. That's the first time she was told if she accomplished what she was setting out to do, she'd be the first. That even though it had been nearly 30 years since Amelia Earhart's failed attempt to circumnavigate the globe, no woman had bothered to try it again. It took a year to prepare. Jerry met with skeptical Air Force officers who nonetheless helped her chart 19 stops. She had to study regulations for different countries and contact foreign embassies to make sure they didn't mistake her for a spy. She dubbed her plane the Spirit of Columbus, and Russ put it through an engine overhaul. Three seats were stripped out to make room for more gasoline tanks that would extend her range to 3,500 miles so she could make it over the oceans she was about to face. A fresh coat of paint covered the rust and the cracks of the 11-year-old plane. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. The Battle of Waterloo was one of the most famous turning points in world history. But what happened next? My name's David Montgomery, and I'm the host of The Siecla, a history podcast that tackles exactly that. Join me as I cover France's overlooked century in between Napoleon and World War I. The Siecle, spelled S-I-E-C-L-E, is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and can be found wherever you get podcasts. Russ's mom agreed to take her place at home, looking after the two boys who were now teenagers and three-year-old Valerie. And she got a financial boost when the Columbus Dispatch agreed to pay $10,000 toward the flight in exchange for exclusive news of the flying housewife. Now, Jerry was just three months from her planned departure on April 1 of 1964 when she learned she wasn't going to be the only one after that record. A California woman named Joan Miriam Smith a professional who flew charter planes and had her pilot's license before her driver's license, 
was also planning to take off in the spring. Smith was 27 years old compared to Jerry's 38 years. And like Jerry, she grew up idolizing Amelia Earhart. Smith dreamed of retracing the exact path Earhart had mapped out, and she would take off on the same date as Earhart, March 17. And while Earhart's path would add 4,000 miles more than Geraldine Mock's planned route, Smith would be in a faster twin-engine plane. Jerry didn't like this. When she made her own decision to fly around the world, she had no idea the title was up for grabs. It really didn't mean that much to her. But her husband, Russ, had spent a year collecting financial support from people who thought they were backing the next Amelia Earhart. What if they wanted their money back? What Jerry had once seen as a leisurely stroll around the globe was now going to be a race. She scrambled to move her departure date up, and she ended up taking off not on April 1, but on March 19, two days after Joan Smith. For that 2014 anniversary piece done by reporter Amy Saunders, Jerry revealed something she had never publicly stated before, that she believed someone had sabotaged her plane, possibly to give Smith an edge. As her wheels began to leave the tarmac at Port Columbus Airport, she could hear the tower controller's voice on a loudspeaker say, well, I guess that's the last we'll hear from her. That was prophetic. Because as the crowd below turned into tiny specks on the ground, Jerry went to turn on her long-range radio and found only silence. It didn't work. She was completely, utterly alone, navigating to Bermuda, a tiny dot in the wide blue Atlantic with only a compass and paper charts to guide her, and unable to ask for guidance when it came time to land. Should she turn back? She thought about it. This wasn't a trip that was going to make her rich. More likely, it would put her in debt. And she was a mother of three, out to just fulfill a fun dream. But at what cost? Adding to her anxiety, she left knowing the weather was about to get rough. She made it to Bermuda, and that's where mechanics confirmed what she suspected. The radio had been disconnected and the ends of the wire covered in tape. Who would do such a thing? If she was going to move forward without distraction, she had to let it go. She had time to work on it because that bad weather did hit, stranding her in Bermuda for six days before she was finally able to move on. Jerry hated the idea of feeling like she was in a race, but some of the pressure came from her husband. She was in Algeria when Russ rang her hotel room, told her how Smith was covering 2,000 miles a day and that she better pick up the pace. When that call came in, Jerry had just flown six hours from Casablanca through a storm so bad she almost had to ditch in an emergency water landing. She was exhausted and hadn't eaten for hours. She told her husband, She can be all the way back home for all I care, and if you call me again to talk about Joan... I'll come home on an airliner. As she often said to reporters who caught up with her all over the world, I just wanted to have a little fun in my airplane. 
Cherry had originally planned to do a little sightseeing as she traveled the globe. After all, what's the point of going around the world if you can't see it? But sightseeing was out. Most of her stops were just overnight and demanded attention to things like fuel and repairs, going through customs and collecting weather reports. She was also required to wire stories to the Columbus Dispatch at each and every stop. Her views from the ground were mostly airports or whatever she could see outside her hotel window. She only saw Bangkok in the dark. She flew over Honolulu without seeing the beach. She had long talked about wanting to ride a camel in Cairo, so she insisted on doing it. It lasted five minutes, the only time she could spare for a photo op. In Egypt, she had accidentally landed at a restricted Air Force base and was detained for a few hours until they realized it was truly just an innocent error. In Saudi Arabia, where women weren't even allowed to drive a car, authorities climbed aboard her plane to search for a secret compartment, convinced she must have a man hidden aboard. When they couldn't find a man, they gave her a round of applause. She would have preferred to fly in trousers, but she knew some cultures would demand more formal clothing, And her husband was promoting her as the flying housewife, so she forsake her slacks for a drip-dry skirt and sweater set, only slipping out of her shoes when she was alone in the cockpit and putting the high heels back on for the public. Her longest leg was a 17-hour nonstop flight over the Pacific. She averaged five hours of sleep each night. There were times Jerry wondered if she would make it, including one point where the motor on her radio began smoking, filling the cabin with fumes, and she had to act fast to prevent a fire. But she said she also experienced indescribable peace, intensely beautiful sunrises, and an ocean of stars. After 23,000 miles, Geraldine Mock returned to Columbus on April 17. She had finished her trip around the world in 29 days and more than three weeks ahead of her rival, Joan Smith. She was greeted by more than 5,000 people at Port Columbus Airport, cheering and waving signs. They wanted to hear from her. What did it feel like to be home? What was the trip like? For an introvert, it was too much. She didn't know what to say, instead simply mumbling, this is just wonderful. The other pilot, Joan Smith, sent Jerry a congratulatory cablegram saying, hoping the clear skies and tailwinds of your trip will always be with you. It was the only time the two women ever communicated and there would never be another time because less than a year later, on February 17, 1965, Smith crashed into California's San Gabriel Mountains. Killed with her in that accident was a passenger who was writing her biography. She was 28 years old. Russ Mock tried hard to make his wife famous for her extraordinary feat. Within days of landing, she was off again to New York to appear on the Today Show, then to Washington to meet President Lyndon B. Johnson. Russ arranged paid speaking engagements. The sponsors hadn't covered the entire cost of that trip. 
those bills needed to get paid. And on commercial flights, he would ask the flight crew to announce to passengers that she was on board. But Jerry hated the attention. She said, The kind of person who can sit in an airplane alone is not the type of person who likes to be around other people. Russ just wanted her to have the respect she deserved, according to the couple's daughter, Valerie, who spoke to Amy Saunders in 2014. She said he did not want it to be the 50th anniversary and have no one know who the heck she is. But Jerry fought her husband at every turn, and in the end, she never became the America's sweetheart that her husband envisioned for her. Just a couple of weeks after completing her trip, Jerry appeared on the national TV game show to tell the truth. Where celebrity panelists try to guess which of three contestants matches some fact the announcer throws out. None of the panelists recognized her, though two of them correctly guessed Jerry Mock by the answers she gave. And one of them suggested if a movie were ever made of her life, Doris Day should play the role. But there was no movie. At the National Aviation Hall of Fame in Dayton, where Ohio prides itself for being the birthplace of aviation, there is no exhibit on her. And it wasn't until the 50th anniversary of her flight did her hometown and that Columbus airport recognize her achievement by erecting twin statues paid for through a fundraising campaign during small celebrations at both locations. Jerry and Russ, unfortunately, didn't make it as a couple. In the 1980s, Russ left for another woman and remarried. But the two remained close friends. Russ frequently came to the house on weekends, and their children saw them as soulmates who might even have been on their way to a reconciliation when Russ unexpectedly died of a heart attack in 1991. The following year, Jerry moved to Florida. It wasn't long before she lost both of her sons. When Amy Saunders caught up with her in 2008, Jerry was 88 years old, and she said the woman brightened up considerably when talking about her experiences during that flight. It may not have been the slow-paced, globe-trotting trip she had intended to take, but in hindsight, she said, it was lots of fun. Geraldine Mock's resistance to fame may be a big part of why her story has been forgotten, but timing also played a role. The 1960s were marked by the civil rights movement, Vietnam, the space race, the Cold War, and the Beatles leading the British invasion. By 1964, air travel was pretty routine. The spotlight turned away from Jerry, quickly and permanently. The Smithsonian kept Mock's Spirit of Columbus in storage for many years before installing it at a satellite facility at Dulles International Airport some 15 years ago. Dorothy Cochrane, a curator at the Smithsonian's National Air and Space Museum, said she deserves far more recognition than she's ever gotten. There's no doubt about that. Geraldine Mock died six months after the 50th anniversary of her flight. 
As a little bonus with this episode, we're going to play for you the To Tell the Truth segment that ran on April 27, 1964, just 12 days after Jerry Mock finished her trip around the world. This is about five minutes long. Since you can't see the show, I'll tell you up front that Jerry Mock is contestant number three. The host, by the way, is Bud Collier, and the four panelists asking their questions in order are Tom Poston, Peggy Cass, Orson Bean, and Kitty Carlisle. One of these ladies is a housewife who recently made international headlines. What is your name, please? My name is Jerry Mock. My name is Jerry Mock. My name is Jerry Mock. Only one of these ladies is the real Jerry Mock. The other two are imposters and will try to fool this panel. On to Tell the Truth with your host, Bud Collier. Please open your envelope and follow along, if you will, as I read. I, Jerry Mock, am a wife and mother. Recently, I took a month's vacation from my husband and three children. Alone in our 11-year-old family airplane, I flew some 23,000 miles. In so doing, I became the first woman in history to fly an airplane completely around the world. Panel, these three ladies all claim to be Jerry Mock, first woman to fly around the world. And we start this questioning with Kitty Carlisle. Kitty? Thank you, bud. Now I know why I couldn't get Jerry Mock on my daytime show. Uh, <laughs> uh, number three, um, how long did this trip take you? A little over 29 days. Number two, what did you carry in the car? What, what costume did you wear in the, in the cockpit of this plane? I wore dresses. Only. Only. Uh, number one, um, where did you stop? Which time? How many times <laughs> did you stop? 21. Oh, you stopped every day? Oh, glory, no. Oh, it would have been well, it took 29 easy. days, you stopped 21 times. Well, I had to lay over at different points. Uh-huh. Number two, did you have, what, did you ever run out of fuel? Did I read something about you having a No, I fuel? didn't. No. Oh, no. Tom Poston. <laughs> I hope not. Uh, uh, Miss Mark, number two, or Mrs. Mark, I guess it is, isn't it, number two? Yes, it is. Mrs. Mark, uh, who is attempting to uh, fly Amelia Earhart's uh, 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 flight pattern when she was lost uh, to the world? Joan Miriam Smith. Yeah, I believe that's right. Number three, <laughs> do you know uh, the most dangerous leg of that journey? She recently uh, took off on the most dangerous leg of that journey. Do you remember which one it was? Would you have any idea? Which number? No, number three. I, number I three. don't consider any of them dangerous. Not of your flight. I mean of Miss Smith, Mrs. Smith's flight. In following. I, I, I yeah. wouldn't know. No. You wouldn't know. Uh, number number one. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Cat. Number two. Wonderful. What kind of an aircraft do you have? That's eleven years old. A Cessna one eighty. Uh huh. Uh, number one. Did you have any breakdowns? Not that I mean to knock the Cessna, no but no breakdown. No breakdown. But number three. Since you had a long layovers, why did you lay over so long? Well, I, well, I had to spend six days in Bermuda because the weather was bad. Oh, uh, thank you. Uh, number one, did you go to New Zealand? No. Uh, number two, did you go to Arabia? Yes, I did. Uh, number three, where did you land in Arabia? Dahran. Where? Dahran. Oh, mm, I know it well. Uh, 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 number one, did you fly over the Pacific? Yeah, sure. And where did you land? In the Pacific? Yes, not oh. in the Pacific, surely. She means in that oh, flight. Oh, three spots. Uh, 
Fortune Bean. Number uh, two, I've heard that in uh, Arabia, which takes in a great many countries, there are sheiks and potentates and nawabs who are only too anxious to get their hands on a nice American lady who lands all around the plane. How did you fend them <laughs> off? I mean, a nice-looking lady like you? Did you have any of that trouble? They kept waiting for a man to get out of the plane. <laughs> oh, did they? Chacun a son goût. Number two. Uh, number, th uh, number three, I mean. Now, you left your husband alone for 29 days. What did he do? I mean, who cleaned up the house and all? And who, looked, who cooked for the kids? His mother came and stayed there. His mother? <laughs> I'm glad and sorry to have to call time on this one, but in any event, time. There's no more questions, but it is time for you now to mark your ballots. When you kindly vote at once with no consultation whatsoever, simply vote now for number one, number two, or number three. The team of challengers will receive $250, of course, for every incorrect vote. All ballots marked, Val? All right, Tom, for whom did you vote? I voted for number two. Because uh, I think if Kitty had had a chance to ask any questions, we would have found out a lot. I'm sorry that Kitty didn't get her turn. She did get her oh, turn. Oh, did she? Oh, I must have had another reason. Peggy <laughs> <laughs> Cass. Well, I voted for number one because she said she stopped three times in the Pacific. And I once went across the Pacific, and it took me 29 days just to get across there. So I figured in a plane, you'd have to stop at least three. You didn't have a plane? No, I was on a boat. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> And Shaka Beam. <laughs> well, I don't really have a clue, except that I voted for number three because she has a kind of a pretty all-American looks, and I think that when they make the film, Doris Day will play her part, and she reminds me. <laughs> well, there we have one, two, and three. With which are you casting your lot, Kitty? I'm with three. Uh, because I think they were all absolutely marvelous, but number three said that she stayed over in Bermuda six days, and she's the only one that's got a suntan. <laughs> oh. <laughs> all right, there we have a widely split vote to start things off this evening. Let's go for the truth and find out how close to it it is. Or they are, I should say. As we learn now, which of these young ladies actually did just become the first woman to fly a plane around the world? Will the real Jerry Mock please stand up? Thank you very much, and our congratulations to you, Jerry. But it did rain in Bermuda. I didn't get a bit of suntan there. Really? <laughs> It's a marvelous achievement, and we're all terribly proud, and thank you sure for doing are. it. <laughs> and thank God on behalf of your family that you got through it safely. That's thank the important you. part. By the way, we'll put the video of that up on our website if you want to see it as well as hear it. Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey, and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. 
Hello, my name is Peter Zablocki, and I'm a historian, author, and college professor. I'm thrilled to invite you to check out Evergreen Network's History Shorts podcast. Every Tuesday and Thursday, join me on a journey through time, exploring the little-known and hidden gems of history. In each bite-sized episode, I'll dive into my original research to bring you intriguing historical curiosities you've probably never heard of, uncovering the fascinating stories that have shaped our world from forgotten figures to overlooked events. And the best part? I've condensed all this historical goodness into manageable chunks, perfect for your on-the-go lifestyle. Whether you're commuting to work or squeezing in a quick break, History Shorts fits into the little time you probably think you don't have. Subscribe now and never miss an episode of the History Shorts podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts. Well, Steve, what do you think? Does Geraldine deserve to be included in Ohio's aviation legacy? Absolutely. Uh, As a father of two girls, they're definitely going to know this story for sure. I was looking where there's like mentions of her and it's very hard to find. I know that they put up a statue in the Columbus airport, which is great. And that's a beginning. I was looking on the Smithsonian website and it says display status. Let me read this. Her, any of the, her objects are not on display at the National Air and Space Museum. It is either on loan or in storage. I'm guessing it's in storage because I think we would know after doing this story. But, yeah, I mean, she definitely needs to be a household name. Yeah, you know, those statues they did on the 50th anniversary or start. And, you know, I maybe someday somebody will, you know, pick up her story and – do a little bit more. She did write her memoirs back a few years after she took that trip. It's not in print. I'm not sure how easy it is to to find a copy of it, but I think it'd make a good movie. What about oh, you? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. This is the type of thing that would make a great movie. It's a story that nobody's heard of, and then, hey, pretty soon everybody will know who she is. <laughs> Maybe one day. Maybe one day. That's it for tonight, listeners. For photos, news, clippings, and more on this and every episode, hop on over to our website, ohiomysteries.com. You can also leave us a voicemail. Just call 234-738-0966. That's 234-738-0966. We'd love to hear your feedback as well as your suggestions for future episodes. And that brings us to tonight's featured Ohio musical artist. Summer School is the performing name for Josh Wilson, a Cleveland musician who writes pop, funk, and new disco. Anything that makes you want to dance or feel something, he said. Those are his two goals, give you a good time or a meaningful time. The song we're using tonight is Super Funk Deluxe. Josh said the sound was inspired by a culmination of artists, from Tears for Fears to the Human League to more recent artists like Cherub, Bruno Mars, and Miami Horror. He added that the lyrics are pretty personal to him. He said, It's basically about falling in love and some of the baggage or restraints that came from my upbringing towards having relationships. You can find Summer School on any streaming service or search for him on Facebook under Summer School Band. You can also find his music and merch on his website, summerschoolband.com. Well, let's have another listen to Super Funk Deluxe. I love that. By Summer School. That's a, that's a good one. And we'll see you here next week for another episode of Ohio Mysteries.
inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.